0: My name is Tim, and I love Christmas carols. Honestly, I love all things Christmas. I've also been a church musician and worship leader for over 20 years. On this podcast, we're going to explore some of the most popular and beloved Christmas carols of all time. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Nope, not that. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Definitely not that. I mean, the carols many of us grew up singing in church or hearing on TV specials and movies. If you take some time and slow down and really dig into those carols, you'll find profound hope and peace. And in small pockets of quiet this holiday season, you can find comfort and joy. This is Comfort and Joy. Guys, I am so excited, and I know I say that every week, but I really am excited every week um, to invite my new guest into this conversation, and today is a friend of mine, um, again, from Howard Payne. You guys have heard that that name said a few times through this podcast, um, but this is a friend of mine from Howard Payne. She is a wife uh, to Kevin. She is a mom to, help me out here, Selah and... Hadassah. Hadassah. hadassa yes. I knew I could, I wasn't going to remember that off the top of my head, Um mm-hmm and she is a a worship leader at her church in the houston texas area she plays keys for them she was a piano major when we were school together in the choir so we kind of ran in the same circles guys welcome uh jessica jones today to the podcast we're so glad to have you jessica
1: thanks i'm glad to be here
0: yeah and today is going to be cool because it it, it's kind of a a little bit more um there's a little bit more drama to the story today and when you and i are talking earlier Um, you had some very strong thoughts on Christmas, which at first glance might seem negative. But really, when you dig into them, I think are the whole purpose of this podcast. So what how do you feel? Just give us that front end feeling. How do you feel about Christmas as a whole? And then we'll unpack it some more as we go.
1: So everyone in my family kind of uh, laughs at me because I dread the Christmas season every year. And um, I'm just the the token screwed for everyone um, because I just feel like it's uh, a lot of pressure. It's overwhelming, um, especially as a mom and a wife, you know, getting everybody where they need to be and getting everything baked that needs to be baked and uh, you know, just gifts. And it it just feels like um, a giant to do list. Um, And I, I feel the frustration there because what I want to do um, is sit and and just sit in the place of feeling the significance of what Christmas is to me as a believer and to be able to soak that in. And I feel that frustration with a much busier season than usual. Yeah. Um, so it just draws me away from what I really want to do, which is uh, honestly nothing to just <laughs> sit and and feel the the beauty and the significance of Christ coming, stepping out of earth and coming down as a lowly child. And, uh, and it was all for me.
0: Yeah. And you know, you're not alone in that feeling. I don't think, in fact, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking of Andy Stanley, the pastor in Atlanta that talks about how that feeling is, is very common because it, because Christmas, the month of December, everything feels compressed like everything feels like you have to compact it and almost abbreviate it, in order to get it all done. So no, I think, and honestly, I I, I hope, and and I'm sure there's going to be somebody listening to this that has that same feeling about Christmas. Um, I am I am not that way. I love Christmas. I start counting on the days in about July, um, but I think it's important that we acknowledge that not everybody is a Christmas aholic as you as you were. I think some people really do get stressed out and burned out by everything you just listed and the purpose of this podcast is to kind of distill that down to what's most important by talking about different Christmas carols Uh, and so the song again you you picked I loved I I think I was going through all the guests that I have on this season and I think all but one or two I said please pick your own carol there were a couple that I was like I need you to do this one because I knew enough about that person like I was like you need to do this one um, but for you, you said, um, I'm gonna play a little bit of this song and let everybody hear it. and then we'll we'll talk about. It. so I picked this version just as our intro version um, because it does have a nostalgic feel. The fact that the kids' voices are slightly off pitch is very real life. Very charming. So we have that's the that's the Charlie Brown Christmas rendition of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I didn't let it get into the big part, um, but you guys know the song. You probably know the movie. If you don't, uh, it's been on I think every Christmas for the last um, 50 or 60 years, something like that. So yeah, so Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, we'll get into kind of the a lot of it, but why did you pick that song? Just kind of at a 40,000 foot view, what was your reason for picking Hark the Herald Angels Sing?
1: So, "Hark the Herald Angels Sing" has been a special song to me ever since I was, um, I think, about three years old. And wow. Amy Grant had a Christmas special that was on TV. I and remember I, that. I considered myself her number one fan um, at that age. I kind of thought that I was gonna be her. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but she had a version where in the in, it was a you know cheesy little Hallmark kind of movie where. Um, She was in the mountains of Montana and got stranded and ended up doing this concert in the little bitty town and somehow had this amazing children's choir sing along with her. Um, And that's just kind of, that's the album that has defined music for me. Speaking of, you know, nostalgia. Yeah. Um, I learned that hymn from the very, I mean, I was three years old. And so all, I knew all these words, had no idea what they meant. Um, and as I got older, you know, I, I started wondering, like, what does it mean? Hail the incarnate deity. Um, yeah, that's a big phrase know.
0: for for a three year old to get.
1: So, uh, but I, that's just kind of. Um, she sang it, and and even uh, Art Garfunkel was on this.
0: Oh my gosh. I forgot about, yes, he was. Absolutely. I do. I, I remember that. And in fact, when we talked about this, I had found that special on a, somebody had uploaded it to YouTube at one point. Really? So yeah. So you can go find a really bad version of it somewhere on YouTube. If you're just, I mean, if I you mean, just interested it yeah well and i think you know that does speak to the fact that even even rooted in your your love of the truest meaning of christmas is some nostalgia like there is that mm-hmm. piece that ties you back to it and as you'll hear we'll hear another author talk about christmas carols are a time machine and they do that to us we remember the first version of carols that we love so much and so i just want to unpack a little bit of the history of this song which by the way is rooted in some tension too i, I had no idea until i started to kind of researching this carol um there was kind of a drama behind it a little bit and so just let me give a little bit of that and then i'm gonna let you take it back and talk about kind of the theology that you discovered with it and the impact that you've had so so charles wesley this is our second carol to, to uh to uh cover by him um uh, come now long expected jesus was our first one um back the first week we did this uh podcast and so wesley though he studied in oxford at christ college um in 1735, he decided he would come to uh, to America. He thought, ah, he was 28 years old. You know, we all did things at 28 that we maybe were a little bit rash or um, didn't completely think through. He came to Georgia, uh, became the secretary to James Oglethorpe, I think was his name. Um, then he decided about a year later, less than a year later, uh, this isn't for me. I'm going to go home. Um, he became a pastor, and you guys all know him as a pastor um, if you if you know church history. Um, but he really was radically different than the other English clergy of his day. He visited prisons. He was much more hands-on. He held services outdoor, which in our current climate with the pandemic actually is pretty on par with what a lot of churches are doing. Uh, did y'all hold, hold the outdoor services as a church? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. See, so, I mean, that's, that seems weird um, to a normal traditional churchgoer, but when a pandemic hits, everything kind of goes out the doors of what <laughs> kind of traditional gatherings look like. Um right. Um, he strongly believed that Christian music, and I love this one, like he believed that Christian music or the hymns that churches sang should be done with massive enthusiasm and and deep intellect. And and so we don't just sing fluff, you know, we don't just sing. Um, it's not filler. And and I think sometimes the music can get kind of pigeonholed into that that it's the it's the setup before the sermon, when really the music is it should be hand in glove with the sermon. I'm a little bit of a a little bit of a soapbox right now let me let me get back to what i have here so he first started down the lines to this in 1738 however his lyrics were hark how all the welkin rings glory to the king of kings um quick quiz jessica did you know what welkin means before you before you saw that word
1: um i actually looked it up because i didn't know
0: good um. that makes me feel better i'm glad <laughs>
1: Yeah, it, it,
0: it meant vault of heaven. It meant the vault of heaven opened and rang out the glory of, of the King of Kings, right? So that makes sense. Um, he originally wrote 10 verses for it, uh, and they dove really deep into theology, which we already talked about. Wesley loved to do that. And he did that a lot of times to teach these songs in like Sunday school settings, usually for children. It helped kind of teach kids um, theology as they were younger became popular with the Methodists. Um, he was very protective. Now, Wesley was very protective of the hymns he wrote, and he saw them as his method to teach theology. Um, and I found this quote that I found very, uh, it, it almost I could almost hear him saying this with a bit of, of, a, of a prickly tartness to his voice, um, but I'll just read it kind of hopefully just without any kind of inflection beyond just what's here. Many have done my brother, John, and me, though without naming us, the honor to reprint many of our hymns now they're perfectly welcome to do so provided they print them just as they are, but I desire they would not attempt to mend them for they really are not able. Therefore I must beg of them to let them stand just as they are here. Here's a little, um, I think kind of a uh, punch to the gut that we may no longer be accountable either for the nonsense or the doggerel of other men. Uh, And so he was very adamant that the words he wrote were the words he intended, Mm -hmm. Um, which will come into play here because a guy named George Whitfield, who was a very famous pastor as well, very, very well known. um, Some of the things I read about him said that his theology wasn't quite as deep as, 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 um, um, Wesley's, but again, that's, a little bit of that—it's going to be opinion-based. However, Whitfield took the song and and, re, and rewrote the lyrics to hark the herald angels sing, which is what we know of. You and I sing it that way. Well, Wesley was incensed. He was absolutely angered because if you go look at the story in Luke, nowhere in the story does it say the angels sing. Nowhere. There was no singing. It was they say, "Glory to God in the highest." Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Right. So he was incensed. Um, so that that kind of happened. That was a little bit of drama that went on between Whitfield and and uh, Wesley. Um, and uh then there was a vocalist named Dr. William Cummings, who was one of Felix Mendelssohn's favorite tenors before he before Mendelssohn died in forty seven in eighteen forty seven. Um he so this guy, William Cummings, combined the music of Mendelssohn's, uh, I'm not gonna say it in German because I tried earlier and it sounded just garbage it's translated to the to the term song of the artist which was a piece written as a nod to um gutenberg the famous bible printer mm-hmm. um so so here you have these lyrics that were changed drastically i say drastically they were changed enough that it wasn't what what wesley intended and then you had the music that Mendelssohn never intended to be used as a church carol And then all of a sudden, that was the version that became famous. That was the version that we all know. So I just found that so intriguing. That And then one one author, uh, Albert E. Bailey, said, what suits the ideas and temper of one age often has to be modified to survive in another. So a lot of these lyrics have, for all hymns, have been changed and and modified throughout the years um, to reflect some of the cultural... Um, changes that have happened for good and for bad. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's my little history lesson on the Carol. So let's get to the fun stuff. The the, the, kind of, I think the the meatier stuff, what is it about this Carol that, that really theologically hits you in those phrases that you talked about? How did you come to discover what they meant and how did that impact you?
1: Well, first, I think it's interesting that, um, that Charles Wesley wrote it for Sunday school for children. Yeah especially because I came to know this song at such a young age, and that's really when it kind of became ingrained in my Christmas um, you know, repertoire of carols, so to speak. But like, yeah. um, I just think um, knowing that these phrases, before I even knew what they meant, and as I grew, um, wondering what, what does that mean, offspring of a virgin's womb, you know, um, and, and car- how did that
0: conversation go when you were young? I'm sorry, that's just, yeah. <laughs>
1: actually dead. True story. Uh that that's how I I talked to my oldest daughter about the facts of life is because of Christmas because Well, that's
0: okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: What's the big deal? God gives babies to everybody. So. <laughs> and why That's, that's good her? to
0: know. You know, I have I I've got sons that that could very well, very well be the way they ask the question too, which it's good to know that's one thing I need to be mentally prepared for. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, But moving on um, to, I mean, when it says, um, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. um, I mean, that's the gospel. That's immersed in the gospel. That's just, um, and so uh, growing up in, in the church, as I did growing up in a, a, believing family um, and just kind of being able to put the meaning into these song lyrics. And as an adult now, being able to say, veiled in flesh, the Godhead seed, because it, it just, it, it brings me straight to scripture. Yeah. Philippians 2.6 says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being yeah. form, being born in the likeness of men. Um, and of course, as Bible-believing Christians, we see that he he came in the form of a man for the very purpose of dying on the cross for our justification. And um, so, I just I see these verses as leading me straight to gospel theology. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and if you if you see all the verses that are there.
0: Um, do you have I, the I, Do you have the traditional? What do you have in front of you as far as lyrics? Do you have the the kind of the four stanzas that we see in the hymnal
1: there? I have that, and then a couple more that I was not as accustomed to singing. I've never heard them sung in um, in the the churches that I've done this in. Why,
0: why don't you read the lyrics just so that we can have them? So we'll listen to the, we'll listen to you read them out loud, and then we can talk about anything else that jumps off the page at you. So maybe if there's one or two people that have not heard this carol. We can share these lyrics with them, which are so rich and so good. So go for it.
1: So there's a verse that says, Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Now display thy saving power. Ruin nature, now restore, now in mystic union join, thine to ours and ours to thine. Mm. Um, and so that's a verse that really, in my mind, sends me straight to Genesis 3.15. Yes. It's the curse of um, of Adam and Eve after they've sinned against God. Um, but the hope that is found, even in the curse, when there's a promise of hope in the woman's seed. Right. So it says, rise the woman's conquering seed. That That is... All the way from Genesis to now, to- he ties
0: it. Yes, it's so well written. I have that same verse that I found, and absolutely, I love that line. And the the next line just goes with it. Bruise in in us, like the serpent's head. Yes, which is yeah. which is talking about the curse that we've all borne upon ourselves. Like we have the curse of sin. Yeah. So good. Yeah. What other verses did you find? Because there were there were ten stanzas to this, yeah. and so trying to make sure we had them all. We I, we hadn't talked about these verses before we started recording, but, but yeah, what do you, what were the other verses you found?
1: Um, so I found this one, uh, Adam's likeness, Lord, efface; stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above reinstate us in thy love. Uh, I mean that right there. That's
0: Hebrews just, all over the place. Yeah. Uh,
1: yes. just and, and then it also made me think of first uh, Corinthians um, 15, 21 and 22, which says, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Yeah. Um, just I, I love the beauty in that. And and that it has I mean Jesus is the the new and better Adam. He's the one who who was worthy. And, right. So I, what I like about this hymn is that I feel like it goes all the way back to the very beginning, um, and, and shows everything from Genesis to now, um, how Christ is the, the guarantor of everything.
0: Yep. And you talk about, I mean, I don't want to use this word, overuse this word, but you talk about nostalgia. He's calling back to the beginning of the story. And that's yeah. exactly, I mean, that going back to the very beginning of the fall of man and saying, see, here's where that story is connected to right at the beginning of the birth of Christ. And, and I, yeah, absolutely. I found the same verses and I guess when they count 10 stanzas, I, I I counted 10 paragraphs, but in my mind it stands because each stanza kind of has two paragraphs to go with it. So I I think, I think we found them all, (laughs) but, but that's just to me, that idea is, is, and let's, I mean, part of me goes, he's teaching this to kids in Sunday school. My kids don't talk like this anymore. I, I I don't know if your kids talk like this with, with
1: yeah. but no, I'd like to be in his Sunday school class now.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I, I would have to, I would have to hang on for dear life some weeks. I, I imagine, I imagine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I just feel like it fits really well with the meta narrative of the Bible creation to fall to redemption and then to restoration and every stanza of this song brings me straight to the cross. And and I think that even as we can celebrate Christ's birth, as believers, we know the whole entire purpose of his birth, yes, of his death, um, and, and the redemption that we find in that. And I think that is one reason that I am frustrated by Christmas, that I can't always enjoy the Christmas season, is because I just don't think there's enough margin to be able to soak this in the way I wish I could.
0: How can you create margin in a time when everything feels so compressed?
1: That's a good question. It's not something I've mastered. Um, I remember last Christmas, uh, you know, pre COVID, everything was super busy and hectic and running here and there. And um, there was a really great sermon that my, my pastor had given that morning and it was on, Um, Isaiah 11 and Romans 15 which was um, the root of Jesse and the hope that comes from that and and um, I had just finished telling Kevin my husband that I had this extremely long to-do list and that um, you know I I was thinking how am I going to get to everything so I had just finished telling Kevin there there were too many things on my to-do list that I was overwhelmed that this shouldn't be what Christmas is about. And I just kind of had myself a little hissy fit, um, about the expectations and, um, and then I decided to shove everything aside and sit down and, paint a picture. And, and I think it kind of bewildered him a little bit, because he was like, didn't you just say you had, you know, 20 things to do this afternoon? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but the picture that I, because I just couldn't get it off my heart. And I thought this deserves my attention more than anything else. It's good. Uh, so I sat down and I I painted my own version of these verses, which was a stump that was dead and cut off. And then this beautiful... Well, I hoped it would be beautiful, but I'm, I'm not an artist. But um, th- this growth of new life and a promise and a hope. Um, and so I think sometimes, and I, I think what I've just decided is that I'm going to do my very best to put as many things aside as possible when I feel that tugging on my heart from the Lord to sit down and um, give him the attention that he deserves more than all else all the other things tugging so
0: that is super good and what i heard you say there was that well what i didn't hear you say there is that when you chose to put those other things aside everything fell apart like the world <laughs> kept going and you 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 pushed those things either aside or you said no to whatever for that moment and it really ended up blessing that you in that moment because you were connecting in a personal way with with your Creator.
1: Yeah.
0: And and if I can just kind of you know soapbox again for a minute, you didn't say I sat down with the Bible and read for two hours. Like that wasn't your expression of of joy to the Lord at that moment. It was it was painting a picture. You know, for some people, it might be taking a walk. For some people, it might be playing a guitar. So for some people, it might be, um, you know, playing something with their kids that, that just allows them to slow down and to, to recognize, hey, this is a time of year when if I let it happen, so much can steal my joy and so much can steal the time, which is the only commodity that really matters in the end. I mean, money comes and goes, but time is irreplaceable. And so yeah. when you have those moments where you're where you're you feel the lord tugging on your heart and again I like the way you put that to to be responsive in a way that was meaningful that was personal and that was connecting was was really what I heard you talk about then is is just you you put everything aside for a second and you said I'm going to just and I don't know how long you painted for I'm I'm assuming you, it wasn't like you know it wasn't a Michelangelo painting so you weren't there for <laughs> Two weeks or a year, or whatever. No, it
1: was just a couple hours. <laughs> See,
0: and and that's okay. That's great. But that two hours was spent in a way that was that was important. And it was important enough that you remembered it. Like a year later, you remembered that. Uh-huh. And it made an impact. So yeah, that's awesome. That's a very good thing. And I think that's important that we figure out those ways to create margin.
1: Yeah.
0: And at some point it comes down to just saying no to things.
1: Yeah. Saying
0: saying uh-huh. not not now.
1: Yeah. Yes. And I think the the other greatest way is um, is the, the as a musician, the kind of music that I listen to, um, is the music that I'm listening to drawing me um, to have more joy and to focus on things that bring me joy, or is it bringing um, is it, is it making me remember my to-do list? Um, yeah. Is it it reminding me that I have to get to the mall to get those gifts for the teachers? And I, uh, you know,
0: I love my teachers, but that's my least favorite part. I can be honest. (laughs) I love my kids teachers, but that right there, I'm like, Oh yeah, no. And you, I think it was you who introduced me to Andrew Peterson. I think the, the album is that the,
1: um, Yeah my absolute favorite
0: what's that out because we're gonna put that i'm gonna put that in the notes that we leave today because even though it has nothing to do with hark the herald angels sing it does have to do with creating meaningful moments of reflection on the christmas season so what was that what's that album
1: behold the lamb of god Okay. Uh, and speaking of the the whole meta narrative of the bible as a whole that one is exactly yes the kind of album that i mean i could listen to that constantly i i do listen to it year-round because it really does deal with the tension of god's people needing a savior yep um and especially in one of his pieces deliver us i mean it's just and the redemption of christ coming as baby and just the, the humanity of God incarnate and all of it, um, is just a beautiful album. So, I would encourage if you haven't heard it, Behold the Lamb of God. Um, there are actually two versions of it. He redid oh. uh, the 2019 was a um, a re, I guess, a remix, a, re-
0: a reissue or remastered. Yeah. Or re-
1: different musicians all kind of get together and, and do it with him. So
0: well, that's the only version I think I know is the 2019 version. So I'll have to go digging and find the original. Is there, is there anything more meaningful, significant, different about the original release or is it the same yeah. thing kind of repackaged? Slightly,
1: slightly different instrumentation and slightly different voices for different songs.
0: Okay. No. And, and I will say that like, that was, um, you, you use the word album accurately there. An album, you know, a lot of times I think an album we, we kind of assume is just a, a mashup of collection of songs, you know, 10 or 12 songs on a, on a CD record, uh, whatever you think of, but that is truly an album in the sense that it tells a story from song one to whatever the last track is, I think 10 or 12 or something like that, that it really does that. And those are the kind of albums that you sit down with and they almost create devotional moments in yes. your day. And yeah, absolutely. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, the other thing I want to just talk a little bit about was, was the idea that the angels, I read an article and I'm going to put a link to it um, from a website called desiringgod.org about the concept of the angels getting to celebrate because they truly understood the magnificence of the situation, mm. but they themselves never got to experience the redemption that mankind does. When you When you thought about that or when you maybe read that quote that I sent you, like, does that, does that do anything in you as far as just, man, what it must've been like to be an angel then, or as a human to look back and recognize the, the significance of that moment.
1: I think there in, in the story, there are few humans who actually do recognize the significance of the moment. Um, I think of Simeon. Um, I think of Elizabeth early on, there were few people who even knew what this meant. Yeah. Um, and so for the angels, knowing the whole story, I'm sure their excitement was just beyond to... It's it's almost like, um, you know, when you sit down with your favorite movie and you're watching someone you love, watch it for the first time.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: You get to experience their excitement all the more. Um, So it makes me think of uh, how the joy of the angels was just, uh, can you imagine the angels as they watch the shepherds running through the streets, telling people that the Savior
0: is born. Yep. Um, so, yeah, yeah just, the, just the, wow, I know, isn't that so? Yeah, the, the, that, that joy, that that true, it, true sense of the term joy in that moment. Yes. Yeah, I love the quote um, John Calvin says in his commentary on Hebrews. He goes, it was the design of the Son of God that there should be some incomparable pledge of his love toward us, which angels had not in common with us that he preferred us to angels was not owing to our excellency, but to our misery. There's Mm -hmm. therefore no reason for us to glory as though we were superior to angels, except that our heavenly father has manifested towards us that ampler mercy, which we needed so that the angels themselves might from on high behold so great a bounty Poured on the earth. I can't do it, Calvin. I mean, he said it better than I could ever
1: say it. Of course, yeah, amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he yeah, absolutely. But just a simple commentary. But his words there, just that that our superiority to angels had nothing to do with our own excellence or our own um magnificence. It had to do everything with the mercy that God poured on us through Christ Jesus. Yes, man, so powerful and so. So amazing. And I wonder, you know, just as we look back on that, the angels knew that in that moment, the story was pivoting. The story was changing. The the, the old covenant was dying away. And just the excitement they must have held because they knew where the story was going to eventually land. Like we still had to go through 30 years of people thinking he was going to be a military messiah and and confusion and what now and then finally we get to Pentecost when things start to really click and then we get to Acts where the church is just there it goes it just explodes in Acts two and that's when the angels are like see we this was what we were talking about three decades ago I mean four decades ago it was it, it's it's got to be exciting from that perspective which is why the angels again they didn't sing. They shouted. They proclaimed, um, but I, I remember. Vi- I remember very clearly as a child being an angel in a kids' choir singing. So uh-huh. at least in my story, <laughs> the angels sang.
1: They might have sung.
0: They might. You know, I, I. We know that the that the angels' news led people to sing. Right. I mean, when when the angel Mary, uh, when the angel visited Mary, she sang. Yeah, when uh, when Zacharias finally got to speak, he sang, right? So, I don't know. I, I don't think it's true.
1: Too- and it says they, you know, it says that they were praising God, and so that could have been through speech. It could have been through song. Of course, you know, we like to imagine it as this super organized choir of angels with big wings, and they're singing. Um, right. at least that's how I like to imagine it. Um, just as a yeah. musician, especially. Of course it was music, of course it was song. Um, but we don't know what that looked like. And that makes me think of even in Revelation when it says that the angels are saying over and over again, just uh non-stop. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, that we don't know if that's singing the way we would define singing or music, but it's got to be beautiful, no matter what.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, it's beautiful because it's it's perfect. It's holy. It's 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 in it's it's, it's in its fully redeemed state in that in that uh, situation.
1: Okay. Absolutely, and angels are anticipating the whole story that they already know. They're just full of overbrimming excitement here, knowing what's going on. So,
0: right, exactly, awesome. This is I love this conversation. I want to talk a little bit about your favorite versions. Um, that, that, um, we had talked about, I brought one, you you listed two, and I love the the very difference. We'll start with the one that you talked about at the beginning, nostalgia. Um, so we're going to listen to, um, this 1983, Amy Grant, um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which has got so much eighties all over it. We can just, mm-hmm. you know, we can just dig on that. So here we go. Her voice was so pure at this point, very, very nice clear voice. So yeah, as a we've already talked about kind of the nostalgic piece of it, as a pianist, as a worship uh, worship leader, as a musician, what do you like about it? Is there anything in there that kind of you dig?
1: Well, uh, it is very immersed in the '80s. It is, it has synthesizer all over it. But uh, I really like the last um, whenever it gets, it gets really big. There's a lot of um, fake orchestration that comes out, um, but it gets really big on the last verse, and I just really like there's, there's good harmony, there's good music for what it was.
0: Yeah, there it is. Yeah. I I mean, I I think that's great orchestration. I think there's like a Nashville string machine going on in there. There's some things that are really (laughs) tasty. Um, And, you know, I think there's, there's a timeless quality to it. Yeah. It starts with a little bit of eighties, eighties keyboards, you know, which might've been Michael Libby Smith playing those by the way. Um, But I think that orchestration piece makes it feel more timeless um, when it gets there. Um, it, It definitely marries the, 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 the pop music of the time. So yeah, absolutely. What was your next version? You you had a second version, which is very different, uh, in, in its approach. So tell let's play a little bit of that and you can talk us through what, what, what you dig about this one.
1: Okay. The next version is choir, the Trinity, um, from Cambridge, which is just a children's choir. And I feel like it's just really pure and choral and I love the alto line and it really does kind of make me, uh, Uh, imagine just sitting in a cathedral with a lot of reverence.
0: Yeah. So that's the, uh, uh, let's see, the choir of the Trinity College, right? That's the one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I think that has some beautiful, absolutely has that majestic feel. And I love the picture you said about sitting in the cathedral. Um, It does have that feel to it. And in fact, you know, I'm sure they recorded it in a cathedral of some kind with Mm -hmm. high ceilings. So it has that nice reverb that comes with that. Okay. So I found one version. And if people have been listening to this podcast, they know I love to find outside the box versions of songs. Um, I'm not a, I like traditional versions of carols, but I'm always challenged to find versions that aren't traditional versions of them. Sometimes to play with our church praise team, sometimes just to enjoy. Um, I've never tried this one with our praise team because it's in seven, eight, and that's not one of those time signatures (laughs) that um, bands usually jump into. So here we go. One, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two. The long intro And then he jumps to four four because it's it's too hard to sing in seven eight. This kind of reminds me like if, if, if Snarky Puppy, I don't know if you're familiar with the band Snarky Puppy, if they were to put out a Christmas song, it might sound something like that. That's Israel and New Breed, who were really big back in the early mid 2000s. Um, but he had a band that was just, it was so good. And it shows on tracks like that. So, so yeah. And that track's just called Hark. We'll put all four of those songs that we used the Hark, the Herald renditions into the, into the show notes for today. So that, um, folks are listening to this. If they want to, they can go find those and listen to them and support those artists. So, well, then let me ask you this. What, um, what are your favorite traditions? What are things that you do either from a spiritual standpoint or a relational familial standpoint that are, that are things that you love to do for Christmas?
1: I sing with my kids a lot. Um, So actually, a tradition that I already have established, Christmas or not, is that I sing to my kids every evening before they go to bed. And um, around in the Christmas season, I sing carols to them. Every single carol I can ever remember, Uh, and of course, I have a huge collection of hymnals to look up. But I sing, I sing Christmas carols to them. And to me, that is um, something that's meaningful that I can invest in them. And you know, they don't get a lot of the older carols they don't get a lot of the hymns these days um our church does a does a good a fair amount of hymns but nothing like what i grew up with right uh, so i like to instill that in them and expose them to that and um we sing christmas music a lot together and it's become a little more special now that my oldest uh is 10 years old selah is 10 and she can do harmonies and she can play ukulele and um, so it's just kind of the the joy of making music together has kind of even increased with her knowledge of music and
0: yeah uh, we didn't even talk about that you teach ukulele to your homeschool co-op right like you you <laughs> teach a ukulele lesson that's awesome
1: I do I teach ukulele <laughs> it's a it's a very approachable instrument so it's fun for everyone it very
0: much is it's a good place to start I like ukulele
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, even from a young age my girls were singing have been singing um, hymns and, and carols at Christmas time. So.
0: Well, we didn't talk about very much, but both you and Kevin, your husband are incredibly musical. Both of y'all can sing. Both of you play multiple instruments. And so absolutely. Cause he serves on praise team with you some, right? Doesn't he also do some assisting and leading at times?
1: We have throughout most of our time played together. So he's not currently on the praise team, but. Um.
0: But he has, and I know. I mean, he and I were, we were nerds together. Uh, yeah, you know, 20 years ago. So I know we can I know we can rock a saxophone like no one else. So that's really a great tradition. And I think, you know, our family, we we sing a lot. We have a lot of that in common. Um, we love to sing with our boys. And, um, you know, I think that that identifying good memories with music and with singing, not only is that something that it's good for our heart, but it's good for our brain. Like we just we remember those things. They, they come back to us. They help us develop. And so that's an awesome tradition. I love that. So, well, it has been so much fun to do this. Thank you so much Jessica, for carving out this time to to chat with me about this, Carol. And I truly am thankful for your perspective on Christmas, on the significance and the meaning and the importance of it, because it is really important to remember that in the midst of all the busyness and the loss of margin that happens in in the holiday months. So thank you for reminding me. Uh, And hopefully, all of our listeners of that as well.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I feel honored that you wanted my input, especially as a as the token Scrooge. So,
0: (laughs) well, we had to have one on, and so you you've knocked it out of the park. But you really token Scrooge or not, it was great. It was a great conversation. So, thank you, and guys, thank you for listening. Comfort and Joy was recorded at Turned Curtain Studios in Plano, Texas. It was produced by me, Tim Groves, and Meadows Baptist Church. For more information and links to sources for today's show, please see our show notes. The theme music for Comfort and Joy was written and arranged by Dennis Lambert. For more info or to support him and his craft, you can do so on his Patreon account, and you can find that link on our show notes. Finally, Remember to check out meadowsbaptist.org and join us for our weekly live stream services Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Stay safe, stay hopeful, and remember, there is comfort and joy this holiday season no matter what season you're in.